Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 632 for release on Sunday, April 4th, 2021. On WaveScan today, the radio scene in Brazil, the early wireless years. Radio Emitok, part two, and our Japan DX report. Wireless experimentation began very early in Brazil, and in some ways it paralleled or perhaps even preceded the work that the famous young Italian inventor, Guglielmo Marconi, was performing. In fact, the inventive Catholic priest, Roberto Landel de Mora, is sometimes designated as the Brazilian Marconi. Here's Ray Robinson now with the radio scene in Brazil, the early wireless years. Thanks, Jeff. It was in the year 1893, two years before Marconi, that Roberto Landel began experimenting with the manufacture and assembly of very early wireless equipment during his ecclesiastical appointment in Porto Alegre in southern Brazil. His experiments continued during the following year, 1894 also, during which he activated his electrical equipment. And then during the year 1896, he privately conducted distance trials of his equipment in public areas, now in Sao Paulo itself. In June 1899, Landell succeeded in transmitting a wireless signal over a distance of more than four miles, but he was still not ready for a fully public demonstration. Roberto Landell's first fully public demonstration took place at Alto de Santana in Sao Paulo on June the 3rd of the following year, 1900. Among the invited observers were newspaper reporters, local officials and the British Consul General Mr C.P. Lupton, together with his wife and family. This historic first public demonstration of wireless in South America over a distance of five miles was indeed a remarkable success, though the transmission of the human voice was very distorted with only a few words understandable. During the following year, 1901, Landell was issued a patent from the Patent Office in the United States for his development of what was called the radiographone. However, parallel with Landell's pioneer wireless development in Brazil, similar developments were taking place in England, Germany, the United States, and also in other areas of Brazil. During the year 1902, engineer Joaquim Gonçalves de la Lor applied to the state governors in Para and Amazonas in Brazil on behalf of an American, Mr. R. Maddock, for approval to install wireless stations along tributary rivers associated with the mighty Amazon River. The usage of the local telegraph wire system in that area was very unreliable. Two years later, in 1904, Government approval was finally granted, and the concession was transferred to an American company, the Amazon Wireless Telegraph and Telephone Company. During the following year, 1905, two wireless stations were erected, one at Pinheira, 11 miles from Belém, and the other at Breves, 80 miles further distant. Commercially made wireless equipment using the Fessenden system was imported from the United States. 
However, the performance of this Fessenden wireless equipment was inadequate, and the Breves and Bellum stations were closed during the following year, 1906. As replacements, the Amazon Wireless Telegraph and Telephone Company in Brazil imported Shoemaker and Stone wireless equipment from the United States, which was installed at Bellum, and at an additional new location, Santarum. Five years later again, now in 1911, three new stations were installed in the same Amazonas areas, this time with equipment from the German Telefunken Company. During that same year, the national government in Brazil gave approval for the same Amazon Wireless Telegraph and Telephone Company to erect wireless stations now throughout all of Brazil. However, at the same time as the Amazon Wireless Telegraph and Telephone Company was growing and expanding throughout Brazil, the Brazilian Telegraph Administration was also experimenting with the development of wireless, and they were also installing their own stations in various areas throughout their country. Back in 1904, the Brazilian Telegraph Administration had established two experimental wireless stations, one at Santa Cruz Fortress on the waterfront near Rio de Janeiro, and the other at Grande Island, 68 miles distant. The experiments at these two locations were continued for a period of five years. And then in 1909, the Brazilian Telegraph Administration began the construction of a whole series of wireless stations at many locations throughout Brazil. The first station in this sequence was installed at Babylonian Hill, near the waterfront in Rio de Janeiro. At the beginning of World War I in Europe in 1914, there were a dozen coastal stations in Brazil and a score of inland stations. Back during this era, the call signs for the wireless stations in Brazil, both on land and on ships at sea, were simply a three-letter abbreviation of the station name. Next month, we'll take a look at the early medium wave scene in the third part of this, our series on the development of radio in Brazil. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles, California. Last week on WaveScan, we had part one of a presentation by Jim Salmon, producer of the program Radio Emma Talk World Service, which, orig which originates from the United Kingdom and airs on shortwave stations in Europe and the United States. We continue now with Jim Salmon's presentation at the recent European DX Council Zoom meeting. So on to my journey into broadcasting. Well, um, back in the 1990s, I used to uh, Noah Chappell was running a, a, a shortwave transmitter. Uh, probably best not to say too much about all that, but it did result in me uh, coming out with a program called Optimod, the monthly media magazine. And that used to go out every month um, for about two years on a, on a, a transmitter on shortwave in the 48-metre band. And um, really enjoyed doing that loosely based on a station called Radio Facts that was uh, transmitting before this, uh, an information station. And, um, well, it, it was an enjoyable project to do. I got a lot of letters in from, um, a lot of reception reports in from across Europe. Still have a box up on my shelf here of reception reports and, and cassette tapes that people send in to me. Um, one of the differences between then and now obviously, was the fact that people used to write letters to us and, and send cassette tapes. Uh, nowadays, uh, obviously, it's email and it's MP3 files attached to an email. Um, 
but it, it, there was still the enthusiasm for shortwave that's still present today as um one thing that hasn't changed since those days is an excellent magazine that i get every month which will make a few of you smile uh the british dx communication magazine and um i was a member of the of the british dx club back in 1993 uh, i think my membership number is 1214 which always annoyed me a little bit because I wanted to be 1215 because that's a radio frequency. And again, I'm sure a lot of you will 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 um will understand what I'm saying there. You probably also be able to guess a lot of my passwords because they're all radio frequencies. Um, <laughs> but um, so communication back in the day, 1993, and I at that time uh, I used to always um be interested to know whether I would be listed in it. And I don't know whether you can make this out, but somewhere somewhere down here. On 6238 kHz, there is uh, Optimod is listed, along with um, the Belgian International Relay Service and Radio Merlin. So connections between all of those. That's communication now. That's the latest edition. The difference now, I'm still listed in communication now. The difference now is I've moved from the alternative airwave section to the legitimate uh, sections. So <laughs> bit of a bit of a change there. But it's a it's a brilliant magazine. I'm sure I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted here. Yeah, I'm sure you all actually receive this magazine. So uh, a good chance for me to say thank you to everyone involved in producing that because I still enjoy still enjoy reading it every month. My wife still can't understand how I can sit and read four, five, six pages of of, of numbers. But uh, I say, well, it's interesting to me. Uh, but I, I I don't think I'm ever going to persuade her that. <laughs> Okay, um, so leading on from the 1990s, I then dabbled in community radio. A lot of people in the UK uh, in the early 2000s were getting interested in community radio because um, the, the licensing laws opened up. So people were now allowed to uh, get a, a short-term license. And we operated four times as a local station here in Chelmsford uh, under what they call restricted service licenses. And I then actually did obtain a full-time community radio license, but that's a whole other story, and I won't go into that now. But I was very successful in obtaining a license, and totally unsuccessful in and uh, realizing that it's a seven days a week job running a radio station. So that station didn't last very long. After a few years, a few years later into the into the 2010s, I started getting interested in the fact that shortwave was changing. And whilst a lot of the bigger stations were coming off of shortwave, there were relay stations, there were relay stations that had already existed, but there were new relay stations coming up as well, which was very interesting for me because it gave people like me, which effectively I'm just a hobbyist or an enthusiast, it gave people like me the opportunity to actually get our programmes put out on substantial uh, transmitters. And that hadn't been possible before. A lot of the pirate transmitters that have been running in the 90s were probably in the order of 50 watts or 100 watts if, if, if they were lucky. But suddenly there were relay stations uh, supplying airtime on 10 kilowatt transmitters, 100 kilowatt transmitters. And so that became more interesting. And I thought, well, let's uh, let's give this a go. And using the name Chelmsford Calling, um, firmly tongue-in-cheek, I said, well, let's call it the World Service. Why not? And uh, so I produced a program and approached the relay stations and that was put out on stations in Germany, uh, Finland, America, and we'll come on to relay stations a bit later, but it was a lovely project to do. 
And I never intended it to go on for very long, but I did that for over a year. And again, got lovely responses from people. And uh, it introduced me to um, shortwave broadcasting again and uh, and a much further reach uh, with some of the larger relay stations. Um, As always in life, things go on and other things happen and there's not always time. So uh, I think this was back in 2015, I did this. So stopped after a year, but at the time I was I was a radio ham. Uh, my call sign is 2E0RMI. And as a member of the local radio club, we've often transmitted from a strange hut in our, in our industrial museum. It's uh, in our Sanford Mill Industrial Museum. And uh, nearly 100 years ago, this hut was here. It was in a field in Rittle on the outskirts of Chelmsford, and it was owned by the Marconi Company. And it was actually the place where the first regular entertainment broadcast station started in the UK. Wasn't the first radio station, wasn't the first station to play entertainment programs. But it, it's it's really a, quite a pivotal moment in radio history because it was the first time that a regular program was put out every Tuesday evening. There was an amazing bunch of people who, who were running this radio station just in this one picture alone. There were there are three people who went on to become the first three chief engineers of the BBC. So this is back in 1922, February 1922. This radio station started, and because it was the first of its kind in the UK as a regular station, it had a fantastic following. So I became very interested in the story of 2MT. The station was called 2MT. Um, became very interested in the story on. I uh, got friendly with a chap who has followed the history of this, a chap called Tim Wander, who's written books on the, on the station. And uh, we thought, well, let's, uh, let's do a celebration broadcast. So in 2017, when the station was 95 years old, or would have been 95, we operated a, a three-day internet uh, radio station, something new for me, transmitting, or not transmitting, but actually relaying programmes via the internet. And we were actually able to do some of the programmes from the actual hut itself. So this is a picture, February 2017, uh, where we called the station Radio Amatok, and we transmitted, or we, we, we relayed programmes. We didn't actually transmit it because we were on the internet. We relayed programmes from the hut itself. The picture In the picture behind me is a replica of the original transmitter that was built back in 1922. Excellent. Uh, good response again. People seemed interested in the story of 2MT. Uh, most of the programmes came, or some programmes came from the hut. Some came from little room in the roof of my house, which is my own home studio. And uh, it was an enjoyable experience. Once again, those very good people from the British DX Club included me on the back page of their magazine. So I'm very, <laughs> uh, very pleased for that. And it was an enjoyable experience. Um, some people ask why... My project is called Radio Emma Talk. Uh, basically, the station that inspired me, 2MT, from, from nearly 100 years ago, 2MT had to announce their call sign at regular intervals, and the phonetic alphabet they used in those days was different to what we use now. So uh, M then was Emma, and T was Talk. So they used to say this is 2 Emma Talk calling, 2 Emma Talk. So I thought, that's a nice name, a nice quirky little name. So hence, hence Radio Emma Talk. So fast forward a um, couple of years, we, um, the project 
still carries on celebrating uh, 2MT. We have some ideas about doing something next year, which will be the centenary of 2MT. Um, but we didn't really think we'd do much between um, the 95th anniversary and, and the centenary next year. But then, as we all know, uh, last year, beginning of last year, this horrible thing happened and lockdown came and uh, affected us all. And suddenly I was left with a lot of time on my hands. And I started uh, tuning around shortwave bands again and thought, well, um, I've got time to start producing a program again. So uh, we thought, well, uh, let's let's uh, see if we can do a short program uh, called the Radio Amatoc World Service and raise awareness of 2MT, but also try and create uh, a program probably in the old style of shortwave programs, which are friendly, promote uh, friendship between listeners and and uh, and just make a fun program that goes out in shortwave. The, the initial intention, um, I uh, approached the relay stations again and got a very good response. So we uh, started, I think it was back in May, our first program with the Radio Amatop World Service, a, sh- a small 30-minute program. So just to start to tell you how I make the program, very basic, very simple. Um, I record the links uh, using a very old microphone, still using a mix that I've been using for 20 years. And that then feeds into, if you look at the centre of the, of the picture there, a small handheld recorder, a Tascam recorder. Actually, I don't need the microphone or the mixer. I could do all of this with the small handheld recorder. But the microphone and the mixer give me a chance to slightly tweak the, the quality of the, of the audio. So, so the, the, the vocals are all recorded on the recorder there. Then I come downstairs and uh, to my, my radio room downstairs and uh, put the whole program together on a very good program called Audacity, which means I can uh, uh, crossfade and, um, and join uh, music and vocals and recordings together. This shows the opening of the program, then the vocals coming in. So very, very uh, useful program to be able to put things together. Um, I guess back in the day, I would have had to do it all live and record it as a, as a full 30-minute program. Um, but it's... It, tends to be easier now using uh, this type of technology. You were listening to Jim Salmon, producer of the DX program Radio Emma Talk World Service. We'll have more of Jim's talk on an upcoming edition of Wayscan. But now it's over to Tokyo. Here's Yukiko Tsuji. Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Showtape Club, aided by Toshi Otake, and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Radio Filipinas from Philippines was heard on 9475 kHz on March 11th from 0219 to 0231 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. Dateline Marakanyang was on the air. ID was given at 0227. Radio New Zealand Pacific was heard on 15720 kHz on February 28th from 0520 to the sign-off at 0558 UTC in English and Maori. SIO rating was 453. Talk program with pop music was broadcast. ID was given at 0558. The frequency was changed to 13730 kHz at 0600. BBC via Singapore was received on 5845 kHz on March 3rd from 2158 with interval signal to 2300 UTC in English. 
SIO rating was 353. The programs heard were World News at 2200, followed by Newsroom at 2206, News at 2230, and World Business Report at 2232. VOA Radio Ashina via Uduntani, Thailand, was heard on 12075 kHz on March 10th from the sign-on at 1500 to 1535 UTC in Dari. SIO rating was 252. Talk program with local song was aired. Al Azam Radio via Saudi Arabia was heard on 11745 kHz on March 5th from 1600 to 1630 UTC in Arabic. SIO rating was 252. Talk program was on the air. This was a clandestine station to Yemen. CDNK via Tashkent, Uzbekistan was received on 7580 kHz on March 11th from the sign-on at 1400 to the sign-off at 1430 UTC in Korean. SIO rating was 453. ID and the talk program with Korean music were broadcast. ID as CDNK Bansam Nimnida was given at 1429. CDNK stands for Committee for Democratization of North Korea. This new clandestine station to North Korea started on March 2nd this year and broadcast on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday every week. TWR India via Grigoriopol Moldova was heard on 7590 kHz on March 9th from 1545 to the sign-off at 1600 UTC in Kazakh. SIO rating was 353. Talk program with local music was broadcast. ID was given at 1559. Voice of Hope Africa from Lusaka, Zambia was heard on 6065 kHz on March 8th from 2044 to 2055 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. Talk program by a male announcer and the pop music program were on the air. ID was given at 2050. China National Radio interfered on the same frequency at 2055. Radio Tarma from Peru was heard on 4775 kHz on March 4th from 10.13 to 10.36 UTC in Spanish. SIO rating was 2.42. Local pop music was played. ID was given at 10.21 and 10.35. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSL cards for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl at live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box. 44, Kamakura, which is K-A-M-A-K-U-R-A, postal code 248-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-
1-800-826-8691, Japan. One ILC or two U.S. dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Tetsuya Toriyumi, and Mr. Chiaki Shimada for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shotev Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. And finally, a reception report I want to mention uh, that has been sent to uh, WaveScan for 9510 kilohertz with a SINPO of 55334, strong signal, and that was in Geneva, Switzerland. This uh, reception report from Enrique Fernandez. And he says, uh, I could listen to WaveScan with the new A21 frequency allocation DX report from the Philippines. And after WaveScan, I could hear a music program by IRRS in Milan. This particular transmission of WaveScan was via IRRS, Italian Radio Relay Service in Milan. And Enrique was using a Texan PL365 handheld portable with a built-in telescopic antenna. He says, I really enjoyed listening to your broadcasts, this time from a park on the shores of Lake Geneva. Please say hi to Jeff White. I saw him online during the last virtual EDXC meeting a week ago. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Enrique. Uh, it was good to see a number of uh, uh, fellow shortwave listeners on the uh, EDXC Zoom meeting. Spring in Japan means cherry blossoms, and this is a song called Cherry Blossoms, Japanese music, ending today's edition of WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson. Next week on WaveScan, Moon Bounce Radio, Part 3. We'll have more about the advantages of shortwave for international broadcasting. And our Philippine DX report is coming up as well. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports to the AWR address in Thailand. Stay tuned for that. And also to the station that your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program, such as today's report from Japan. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The only email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, in the United States. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>